adults and everybody that is so gifted in singing and uh, we're thankful we're excited too we're already making plans uh, for um, our next Christmas uh, dinner concert it's going to be the first Sunday in December and we've got some special things in store and so you'll have to wait and see we're very excited about that First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, if you turn there, we're going to begin a new series of messages. We're going to be in the next few chapters of First Corinthians, beginning here in chapter 10, verse 23, uh, through about chapter 14 here uh, in the days ahead. And I'm excited about it. And as we go through it, there will be a common theme that uh, we'll be following. As you're turning there, um, the Congressional Medal of Honor is really the highest decoration that a service member can receive for valor in his or her service to the Lord in combat. Tomorrow we remember many individuals who uh, have given their lives for the freedoms that we experience and among the deceased, those who have received Congressional Medals of honor, they are recognized as uh, just the greatest of those who have shown exceptional valor and sacrifice in service. Sergeant First Class Alwyn C. Cash is one of those Medal of Honor recipients. This past December 16th, Cash was recognized posthumously for a great sacrificial act that he carried out over a decade prior to that time. In 2005, while in Iraq, Sergeant Cash did not go back one time, did not go back two times, but three times went back into a burning vehicle to rescue six individuals who were trapped in that vehicle as a result of an explosive. And Sergeant Cash, not only did he return three times, but he himself, as he was going in, already was drenched in fuel. And while his body was burning, he continued to this task of getting out those who were given uh, to him as a responsibility to take them from the vehicle. And then when the uh, helicopter arrived to transport those who were injured, even though he himself was probably the most injured, he deferred to every other. He would say, take this one first and that one first. The first words that Sergeant Cash said after he awakened from a state of unconsciousness was, how are my men doing? Three weeks after that, he died. You know, the stories are different, but these individuals like Sergeant Cash, they deserve... Um, our honor today. And as you look at those who have served in such a way, especially those with the Congressional Medal of Honor and others, uh, what is the common denominator of each of these is self-sacrifice. And I really believe while it happened in a moment of urgency with these individuals, I believe that's the way they were. And, and as we enter this new series of studies, the desire of our heart should be that, that we would have that particular attitude, that, that we do not esteem ourselves, that we seek to esteem others in the will of God 
before ourselves. We're going to be looking at a series of messages through the month of July. And the, the focus is going to be life in community. And, and this is how we're to live life in the church, but how we're to live life in this community upon which we're to have an impact, how you're to live life in community in the workplace. And, and really, as we look at it, it, it really will all begin with us understanding that we need to possess that selfless spirit that's exhibited by so many individuals who've given themselves in service to our country. If you'll look with me, I want to begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this new series of messages today, and as we look at living life in community, we realize, Lord, that not one of us is isolated, that, Lord, we are existing in a community in the workplace, in our homes, in this community in which we live, with our neighbors, and Lord, in this church. And Father, we thank you for the supreme example of sacrifice, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Over the next 10 weeks, as I said, we're going to be studying through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, and as we look at the church at Corinth, I, I think we need to begin by understanding, last week we looked at Berea, Paul spent a very brief time there, about one week. But here in Corinth, we see that he spent 18 months in ministry in Corinth. And you might say they needed that ministry. Because really, as we look at the church uh, at Corinth there, there were lots of issues in the church. Divisions were prevalent in the church. There was conflict. People were divided over which spiritual leader they followed. They were divided over the issue, as we'll see today, about what to do with certain food. Over the issue of spiritual gifts, some people felt they were more important and had greater spiritual gifts than other people. Pretense was affecting the order. People were conducting themselves in their outward comportment, thinking about themselves and not the church as a whole. In fact, things were so bad that in the church there, Paul had to warn individual members about one member not suing another, taking the, the work of God and the business of God out to be settled among unbelievers. 
And so basically, if we could summarize the church at Corinth, it had a lot of struggles. And, and really, the struggles dealt with areas of conduct. When he spoke to the church or wrote to the church in, in Galatia, as he was writing to the churches there, he spoke about the issue of creed, about what they believed, and he needed to make sure that they understood what the true gospel was. It was not Christ plus works, but Christ alone, and how they needed to act in accordance with that understanding. When it came to the church at Corinth, there's not a lot of doctrinal discussion. It's mainly conduct. He's basically saying, you need to learn how to live in community. And, and they were having a problem with that. Yet this church that was filled with dysfunction was not beyond hope. In fact, it's interesting that Paul didn't just disregard it and say, I'll stay a few days and go, but he stayed with the church and invested a lot in the church. And we're going to see today two principles that he gives to the church there and to us that are going to be critical if we live right in community. You say, well, why do we want to live right in community? Because that's our God-given responsibility, that a church that is united, that's living rightly, is a positive testimony in the community. A believer who's engaging himself or herself in a right way at work is a right testimony. And so as he's speaking to the church here, he's basically speaking to, that, to, the, to these two principles that we're going to look at today. And the very interesting thing we're going to go through chapter 11, through chapter 12, through chapter 13, and through chapter 14 between now and the end of summer. And we're going to see that these same two principles continue to move in and around each of these issues. Well, today, what was the issue? The issue had to do with meat that had been offered to idols formerly in the time past. In the time past, such meat was... Uh, being offered and the question was should a believer eat of that meat or not now if you're like me I love all meat man I loved the meat last night all right that's not an issue today you know when we leave here we're not going to go to a restaurant and go home and say was that meat offered to idols or not it, it's not in, in our context it's not practical to consider these things but in the context of the early church it was a significant issue in that particular culture. And so the question was, will this meat, which is offered indiscriminately, maybe food that was sacrificed to idols right beside food that had not, was in the marketplace, would it be okay to buy it and then consume it? And then he goes on in verses 27 and 28, he says, and if you happen to go to a cookout tomorrow and somebody has that type of food, should you eat it? Or should you not eat it? And it was a, a very serious situation. And basically his answer as we read through uh, the end of chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians here was eat or maybe not. Eat or maybe not. And you say, well, is Paul vacillating here? Is he waffling? No, he isn't. Because along with this principle of eating or not eating were two other principles that we see. The, the principle of others in the Lord. But he says it's okay to eat. In fact, it's okay to eat anything. We know Jesus had spoke about uh, foods that were considered unclean. and Basically, Jesus taught that it's not what goes into a person that defiles the person, but what comes out from the heart. And so in that, uh, all foods were considered 
to be clean. Here, uh, Paul writes, eat everything that is sold, is what he says in verse 25. In verse 26, he gives the reason, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. In other words, the idol didn't create that food. God created it for us to partake, and it's okay to partake from it. In fact, we might say, he would say, an idol is really nothing at all, so why are we concerned about the issue? And so then he says, if, if you visit someone's home and, and, and this meat is offered before you to have been sacrificed to idols, he says at the end of the last half of verse 27, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. So basically he, like Jesus here, is declaring no food unclean or inappropriate to eat spiritually. And so you say, well, that settles it. Just eat. Whatever, whatever is offered before you, if it's offered to an idol or not, in that context, it was okay to eat. But in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Because just because I can eat and I have the freedom to eat doesn't mean that it's right for me to eat. It doesn't mean that I should eat. Because with freedom comes responsibility. We hear that, and that's true. Freedom doesn't mean just freedom to do whatever we want and like throw caution to the wind, not think anything of it, just do what pleases me. No, freedom comes with responsibility. And this leads us to the first of the two principles that we're going to look at over and over again in these next 10 weeks of living life in community. And the first principle is this. We're to put the concerns of others before our concerns. We're, we're to place the concern and the well-being of someone else ahead of ourselves. Notice what Paul says in verse 23. Twice, everything is permissible. You see it's in quotations there because probably that was something that was said quite often, so much so that it was common thought. Everything is permissible. Paul wasn't saying he disagreed with it. Everything is permissible. But notice he gives some stipulations in verse 23. But not everything is beneficial. Not everything builds up. In other words, I can, but just because I can does not mean that it's right for me to do so in certain situations. And then Paul gives the guiding principle, one of our guiding principles for this entire study through the summer in verse 24. No one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. Now imagine if in the church, in the workplace, in the home, that this was carried out in letter. That if we were seeking the good of the other person. But that's what we're called to do as Christians. And so Paul is saying here, while it may be permissible to participate in certain acts, activities, such as we see here, food offered to idols, it may very well be that it's not the right thing to do. You can be free to do it, but you do not need to utilize that freedom if you're motivated by your own freedom and your own desire. As I was thinking about that this week, there was a particular narrative that came to mind. It's in Acts chapter 16. And while it has nothing to do with food, it does have to do with freedom, and hopefully it can shed some light what we're studying here. But you may remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his friends 
for the sake of the gospel, got in trouble in Philippi. They were cast into jail. And while they were in jail for that period of time, we see that God shook the foundations. He shook the foundations of the jail. And they were free to go out. But when that happened, we see the jailer was ready to take his life. And what did Paul say? Do you remember? Don't take your life. God said, don't take your life. We're all here. Likewise, in regard to food, Paul says, if you're prepared to eat, if you're free to eat, but someone in your company will be affected negatively by it, do not eat. He said, you can, but you shouldn't. In other words, when Paul and those individuals were in Philippi, they were free to leave, but he considered there was something more important than my freedom. It was the life of that jailer. We're going to look at that again in a moment. But what he's saying here is that we're not to use our freedom for our own benefit. And this can be in so many different areas, so many different areas. Uh, I teetotally abstain from drinking of alcohol. Do I think that it's wrong for someone to take a drink of alcohol? I don't think that's going to send someone to hell. But there are two reasons that I don't partake at all in alcohol. One was my mom warned me when I was young that alcoholism ran in her side of the family, and she said, don't play Russian roulette with it. And so uh, I had that warning. But the second area is I do not want to cause someone else to stumble. I'm free. I could take, I could go to McAdoo's or go somewhere and, and drink a, a drink, and it would not, I believe, would send me to hell, but it could send someone else to hell. If someone were to say, there's the pastor of Concord Baptist Church, and boy, if he partakes of this, then it must be okay for me to partake of that, and then my freedom has become a stumbling block to someone else. But before we note the next principle, there, there's one more thing about principle one, and it's this, and this is important. We might refrain from using our freedom, but our intent is not because of what people think of us, but because of what our action may do to someone else. In other words, you may remember Peter one time was conducting himself wrongly. It's described in Galatians. He was acting one way toward the Gentiles, and then when the Jews came in, he began to act differently. And Paul called Peter out. Paul was worried, Peter was worried about himself, what he was doing, how, how he would look. And so Paul said, basically, you're doing wrong, Peter. Why was Peter wrong? His motive was wrong. His action was not motivated by what was well for the Gentiles or the Jews. His motivation was looking out for himself. And so what we see here, verses 29 and 30, as we look at the end of verse 29 into verse 30, we see it's almost like a contradiction. He said, the end of verse 29, for why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So we see that to this point, he's saying, if, if my brother is, is uh, affected by that, for his conscience, I should not 
partake of that. That's what he tells us earlier. And then he says, but why should anyone judge my conscience? It's very complicated there, but I think we can understand he's not contradicting himself, but he's speaking about what I'm to do right in regard to my brother and then what I am to do right in regard to myself. In other words, what someone thinks about me does not matter unless it affects them spiritually or is it a negative reflection on the kingdom. So if I'm out and I'm saying, well, I'm just worried, I won't do this because somebody thinks bad about me, then we're not, we're, we're not carrying that out right. But if our attitude and our action and what we partake and what we do not partake is, Lord, I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone, I don't want to hinder your kingdom, then that attitude is the correct one. And so as we see, the first principle here is that we're to put others before ourselves. But secondly, we're to make God's glory our primary desire in our freedom. Chuck Swindoll shares the story of the counsel that his mother gave a neighbor who was grieving. Uh, this neighbor had just lost her husband unexpectedly and suddenly. And in her grief, in the weeks after, uh, Swindoll's mother recognized that the lady continued in the city of Houston to visit the cemetery day after day, feeling that she needed a connection with the place where her husband's earthly remains lay. Miss Swindoll one day decided to go and visit that neighbor. She shared Christ with the neighbor. The neighbor believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And after doing that, Miss Swindoll herself felt great joy and said to her neighbor, she said, now you don't have to visit the cemetery. And the lady says, well, I've accepted Christ, but I still need to go every day. And it was at that point that Swindoll's mother said to the lady, let me suggest you go but for another reason. Why not go back and instead of trying to reconnect with the presence of your deceased husband, why don't you make that a place to minister to others who are coming to this city cemetery? And, and Swindoll said as a result of that became the first to his knowledge cemetery evangelist. And so the point here is that in that lady's life that she took her thoughts off of herself, maybe her entitlement, her freedom to grieve and, and to, to, to be focused on self, and she turned that toward others. And as a result of that, God was glorified. Going back to Acts chapter 16, which is different but similar, there was Paul, he was free to leave. There was nothing holding him back. In fact, God was the one who broke the chains. God was the one who did everything. And as he was ready to go, he realized, if I utilize my freedom, then this man is going to suffer. And so his decision was not based on his freedom. His decision was based on his brother. And he said, we're all here. We're back. Don't take your life. And the story goes on that after that happened, the man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then his individual household was saved. And not only did Paul minister to that man, but consequently God was glorified because God is glorified when a person comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. Last week we saw a young man who accepted Christ as an 18-year-old stand right in front of me, give a testimony 
That was exciting. God was glorified through that. And so when we begin to focus on others, when we begin to focus on others in the community, we begin to focus on God's glory, and people are being saved, God is glorified. And so as we look at it, notice verse 32 as, as we're moving. First, well, we see verse 32. I want to go back to verse 31 in a minute, but give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, the, the Gentiles who think, uh, or the Greeks who think idolatry is okay, don't, if, if your partaking of this might contribute to that thought, then relinquish your freedom. The Jews who may be offended by idol worship that think that you as a Christian are adopting idolatry, you have the freedom to do it, but because of that individual's conscience sake, you may not do so. For a new Christian, you might relinquish that freedom, don't do so. And so we see that principle. All of these things would affect God's kingdom. In fact, look at what he says in verse 33. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. This sounds crazy. It doesn't sound like Paul, does it? Because Paul in Galatians was saying, if I still serve men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul stood up to Peter when he was doing wrong and said, don't be a people pleaser. Don't please people. With John Mark, he, he said, let's just set John Mark aside, Barnabas. He, he, he was a person who did not compromise. Yet here he says, just as also tries to please, try to please everyone and everything. Is Paul being inconsistent here? No, it gets back to motive. Paul wasn't concerned about what people thought about him. He wasn't making decisions. He was a servant of Christ. But when he did please people, it was not that people would feel good about him. It's that they would come to Christ and that he would actually be caring about that person. You know, we have to check our motives, don't we? A lot of times we'll just do something to please somebody so they'll be okay with us. That's not what Paul's saying in verse 33. What he's saying is there is a higher good than our personal freedom. And that is the well-being of our brothers and sisters in God's glory. So we see the principle in verse 31, the second one. The first one is verse 24. If we're going to live in community, no one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. But in verse 31, we see a second one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. So we see how we're to live in community, putting others above ourselves, not, not being filled with pride, not being filled with our freedoms and our rights and our privileges, but placing others. Make God's glory our primary desire. And in these 10 weeks, we're going to look at different issues Next week, the issue of head coverings and, and how uh, comportment or how one would present oneself in a public worship service. Again, we don't have issues over what people wear today, but we're going to look contextually at what that meant, and we're going to look at how, again, lifting others' concerns above ourselves and glorifying God uh, affects that. As we close today, though, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention verse 1 of chapter 11. Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, hey, I have these freedoms. I understand. I can give them up. I can give them up. Why? Because people are more important than I am. Because God the Father's will is more important than mine. And we commend Paul for that. In Acts chapter 16, his personal freedom to walk out of that jail was right there before him, but he gave it up. But his illustration pales in comparison because notice he says, imitate me because all I'm doing is imitating Christ. Christ is the supreme example. On this Memorial Day weekend, he's the supreme example because what? He could have taken himself off of the cross. He had the power to do so. He had the freedom to do so. He was not bound to do so. But he did not because he put our concerns above himself. That night before when he was struggling in the garden and he said, Father, not my will but yours be done. He was struggling that human aspect of him. But what did he say? Father, I want your will to be done. I want you to be glorified. So Jesus in his sacrificial death was thinking of you and me, not his own rights and privileges. When Jesus died on the cross, he was not thinking about his will and what he wanted. He was thinking about the will of the Father that God would be glorified. So as we look at this subject matter today, basically what it's telling us, if we're going to live in community, we need to live like Christ. And we need to live in the power, the same power that took Christ to that cross and that rose that raised him from the dead will also empower us. The only way you can live a life that's pleasing to God is if the living God, Jesus Christ, dwells in you, if his spirit is in you. I wonder today, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him? Have you given your life to him? Have you allowed him to do for you and his freedom what you can't do for yourself? Maybe today you need to say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. Maybe as a Christian today, you say, I know he's in my life. Are you yielding yourself to him? Are you allowing him to live through you, his power to, to live through you? Are you following his example of giving of yourselves for the well-being of others and the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, as we have looked today at your word, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, how... In our freedoms, Lord, just because we have the freedom to do something does not mean in a group setting that it's right. But Lord, help us to differentiate. And Lord, as we make these decisions, may our motives be pure, not doing something because of what people think of us, but Lord, doing something because of what we think of them in your kingdom, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.